Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky. I am one of your hosts. I am joined again this week by Anna. What's up, Anna? Everything. <laughs> we are here at uh, Anna's office. It is Friday. We're recording a little bit early this week. And today's topic is all about Lent. It is. We started the season of Lent this week. How did the Ash Wednesday service go? It was a good day. Um, We started with the pancake. Well, the pancake supper was on Tuesday evening, and that was just a blast because there's nothing better than having the whole church family in a gym with kids eating pancakes with syrup and chocolate chips. I mean, that is a little slice of heaven. And then on Wednesday with the ashes, that's a really solemn service. I mean, we are dust. I mean, God made us and we are going to return to dust. So there's, um, it's a time of being really honest about our mortality and acknowledging that we rest in God's arms in all times, in all places. And I will confess I had failed to truly prepare for placing the ashes on the foreheads of my new congregation. This was my first Ash Wednesday here. And that is always, um, it, there's just a special, a very deep, sort of spiritual experience when you do that for the first time with your congregation. And I had not given that enough thought. So it kind of um, knocked me off center a little bit and in a good way. I mean, it's a really, it's a deep connecting point when you place someone's ashes on someone's forehead. Um, so with Lent beginning, what does that mean? Do we, <laughs> do we both now confess that we gave up for Lent? Ooh, you we can. Don't have to. We don't have you to. You don't have to. There's no... Um, We do not have to confess what we give up for Lent. Lent is a 40-day season, and fascinatingly, whether or not you consider Sundays to be a part of Lent or Sundays exempt, it changes sort of how you calculate it, and and that's a little bit of church minutia we probably shouldn't obsess over. But it's 40 days. It is in honor of the time Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting and praying and being tempted. Uh, and the 40 years the Israelites spent in the wilderness, 40 days, no, I mean, that's a big number in the Bible. And in Lent, we're, it's a time of repentance and contemplation to prepare us for Holy Week and Easter. So a lot of people give things up or they take things on. I mean, Jesus fasted. And so throughout history, people have given up meat or they've given up all fats. I mean, that's why we have the pancakes on Shrove Tuesday, because you've got to get all the fats and all that kind of stuff out of the house before you start fasting. People give up chocolate. They give up coffee. People take things on. Um, I have one friend that is contacting a friend every day for the 40 days, making connections. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. There, so there are all kinds of different things. Um, I'll be honest. One year I gave up Lent for Lent. It was a really hard year. And there was a lot of grief. I'd done a lot of funerals. And and I just, I, I couldn't handle another season of that sort of solemnness. And so I gave up Lent for Lent. I also know someone who gave up reading for Lent. So, and which is, it's a fascinating practice because it was something she did every day. So we've sometimes fallen into the trap of thinking we're supposed to give up something that's bad for us, that it's a diet for 40 days. But that's not at all what it is. I mean, Jesus ate eating and was not a bad thing. He fasted to give himself a different perspective. And so we give something up that we're going to miss. So if your cup of coffee in the morning is an important part of your ritual, it's not that coffee is bad. It's that 
you are going to live your life differently for 40 days. And that's the point. So the only thing I really don't tolerate is if people look down on someone else for what they gave up or what they took on. The wilderness for me is getting into my car and commuting everywhere, mm-hmm. like to the school and then to the church. I work, I drive like 80 miles a day, sometimes more. So I did take the diet way out and I said, I'm giving up eating out solo, solo eating out. Like if my wife and I go out to eat, that's okay. Yeah. So I'm in, what is it? Day three? Are we day three right now on Friday? Yeah. Does, is, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. We had this discussion at school. Is Wednesday... Do we start then? Yes, Wednesday is when it starts. Okay, I started Wednesday, mm-hmm. haven't eaten out solo. And then my principal at school, she she was like, ooh, let's get lunch today. And I said, I can't. Yeah. I said, technically, I can't buy. It was more financial. So I, so she laughed because she said, wait, I can buy it for you? I was like, ah, you could, actually. Yes, mm-hmm. that's fine. Uh, so that's what I'm going for. So I'm a pretty um, disciplined person. So I feel like I'll be able to do it. And that's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It helps us see things differently. And th- and that's an important part. So if you do give up alcohol for Lent or chocolate or e- solo eating out, I think that's a fine. The important thing is that you, it, it is what you've chosen to, to give yourself a different perspective. Um, and, and ideally will draw you closer to God. It'll change your rhythms. It'll change your routines. And when we do that, we open ourselves to new understandings. Well, vegetarian burritos at Taco Bell. I miss you. And (laughs) once I find my way out of the wilderness after 40 days, we will be reunited. Do you want to hear a a funny story? Yes. I don't know if it's funny, but we gave up meat for Lent one year. Um, It was actually our daughter's suggestion. Um, She also has some food allergies. And we discovered sometime in the first week that she is also allergic to soy. Uh And we found that out because she ate a soy hot dog, which... Personally, I love. I think they're very, they're wonderful. Um, but she went to anaphylaxis, and we had to go to the emergency room. Yikes! We gave up that Lenten discipline, and our discipline for the rest of Lent that year was we were going to eat anything that didn't kill us, and we were going to be thankful for it and enjoy it. I mean, that's the way to go. Uh, yeah. One time, uh, my wife Amber and I, we she's she's a kind of a hobbyist chef, and so she's really into Asian cooking. And so we decided to go Japanese in January, and we only ate Japanese. She cooked it, most of it. If we went out to eat, it had to be Japanese. She only cooked Japanese. If we bought anything, it actually had to be Japanese. And we did it. We did it 30 days, but I think we spent like uh, $5,000 because it's kind of expensive to eat only Japanese when you're in America. But then you missed things. I mean, like when you travel abroad or you travel or you, you know, you miss things. And so that's the key is that um, taking a break from something helps us to realize that sometimes we get lost in the routines and the normalcy. And, and, and I mean, so yeah, so it's a good chance to look at things differently. And so I encourage people to do something for Lent, um, but also to figure out what's best for them. Well, amen to that. I like that. Get out of the routine. Yes. Whether you add something or take something away. Yes. And come hear the sermon series on prayer. Um, I'm really enjoying working on that. We're talking about prayer in each of the sermons, a different component of it. So that's a, that's a different routine, doing a series rather than preaching the lectionary. All right. Well, enjoy this week's sermon, and we'll be with you next week. Hooray. Thank you, Paul Scott. Let us pray. Bring your word near to us, O God. 
May it rest not only on our lips, but also reside in our hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to respond to your word with our whole lives until you become our dwelling place. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter, the first 13 verses. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, I will give you their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't want to oversell it, but if Jesus had a superpower, beyond being the word made flesh, of course, if he had a superpower, I think it would be prayer like Popeye's spinach, like the infinity stones of the Marvel Universe, the One Ring, the Elder Wand. Jesus is a prayer. After his baptism, Scripture tells us, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit and he is driven into the wilderness where for 40 days he fasts and he prays. 40 days being one of those significant numbers in the Bible, meaning a complete season. And in that time, he is tested by the devil. Real tests. This was not the easy test like the checkbox on the computer where you proclaim that you are not a robot. This was a test that genuinely tempted Jesus. A test to really question. A test he passed with flying colors. How was Jesus able to do this after not eating for 40 days? How was Jesus able to have the strength to withstand and surpass the temptations of the devil? He was deep in the Holy Spirit. He was deeply connected to God by prayer, and it gave him the strength he needed to do what he needed to do. As we begin a sermon series on prayer that will take us through Lent into Palm Passion Sunday, I want to start by just talking a little bit about prayer. What is it? Prayer is a conversation. It is a practice. It is also a place 
where we are present with God. In the Greek, the word prayer refers to a direction. It refers to an exchange in reference to how we communicate with God and interaction with God. Church historian Roberta Bondi writes, prayer is central to the Christian life. It joins us to God and leads us to ourselves in God. It is the place where we can be completely ourselves. In prayer, we can see ourselves as we are and be truthful about what we see. We can enjoy our own gifts and wonder at all we have been given. We can argue with God about who we are and who we have been. We can acknowledge our mistakes and set them aside. Most important, we can learn to love God, ourselves as belonging to God, and other people as images of God, because we are shaped at our very deepest levels by prayer. We are shaped at our very deepest levels by prayer. Or as Richard Foster wrote, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Jesus was a prayer. Not only is there this time that he spent in the wilderness, these 40 days fasting and praying, this time that we honor in the season of Lent, Jesus frequently took time apart from his public ministry to be in prayer. He prayed as a part of his ministry. He encouraged others and taught them how to pray. While the exact number of times prayer shows up in the Gospels connected to Jesus is not completely clear based on how you understand the language in some places where it is used, by my count, there are more than 50 references to Jesus and prayer in the Gospels. Jesus either advising or reporting or engaging in an active prayer life. And what Jesus shows us in these examples is that prayer isn't something you do when you get to the mountaintop. It isn't something you learn how to do once you feel like you've arrived. Prayer does not have to fit a particular criteria or a particular method. You don't need resources or equipment to start praying. Praying starts who you are. It starts where you are and inviting God into that place. We also learn that prayer is a language we already know how to speak. It is a power to which we have already been given access. We just don't always remember the lines that have been written on our hearts. But prayer is not some other thing that we must attain. It is recognizing how these conversations with God are ready and accessible within us. Several years ago, I heard a story from a sermon that was preached by Tom Long. In it, Tom Long said that the deepest kind of temptation is not the temptation to do what we should not do, but want to do. The deepest temptation is to deny who we were created and called to be. That, he said, was what Jesus was tempted to do. Jesus resisted the devil when he was in the wilderness, not by being clever, not by being strong, not by inventing any new theological ideas, but by remembering some old creeds from the book of Deuteronomy, by believing 
and quoting the scripture that had already been taught to him. Tom Long then went on to tell a story about a high school play in which he was a backstage participant. He said that he remembered the months of rehearsal that went into that play, the endless coaching, and particularly one young English teacher who simply poured herself into that play. Day after day, she worked with the students to ensure the play's success, and the students in the production just adored her. They wanted to do anything they could to make her proud, to make her happy. Still, the students who are in that play remember this teacher and the impact she had on their lives. They worked for months on the play, and Tom Long reported that when the opening night for the play finally came, they were ready. The audience was packed. There was electricity in the house. The curtain went up, and the first act went beautifully. It was a comedy, and every line seemed to bring down the house. The audience had connected to what they were doing in the play. But things changed in the second act because one of the actors forgot one of their lines and there was a moment of paralysis on the stage. The other actors knew immediately that a line had been forgotten, but the audience hadn't quite yet figured that out. The young actor looked around and seemed just completely terrified. He wondered in his face, what is my line? The English teacher, the director, was about to whisper the line to him when he spoke. But it wasn't the line he was supposed to speak. He made it up. He made up a line on the spot because he couldn't remember what he was supposed to say. But it was a funny line and the audience roared with laughter. Everyone was relieved. They had gotten out of the jam and now they could move on with the play. But that one young actor, with the laughter still ringing in his ears, he made up another line. This one wasn't quite as funny as the first one he had made up, but still the audience laughed. So he made up another line, and then another. The other actors did their best to try and keep up to him to maneuver around what he was saying, but very quickly the play was out of control. And now the audience was aware of it and there was not any more laughter. Tom reported in the sermon he preached that he can't remember how they got out of this. He can't remember how they finally ended the play. But what he does remember, and will always remember, was looking over at the young English teacher who had poured her heart and soul into teaching them these lines, standing there, looking at the stage, weeping. He then told the congregation, God has given us our lines. If we will learn them, we will have the resources we need to remember who we are and what we are about and the strength to contend against any and all temptation. If we will but remember our lines, if we will but access the prayerful life that is already within us, already written on our hearts, as we begin this sermon series on prayer today that will take us into prayers of confession and silence and lament and hope, we need to start by acknowledging that prayer isn't something that we arrive at. It's already who we are. It's in our DNA. It's not an accessory. It is deep and fundamentally who we are as children of God to pray and be in conversation with God.
Through prayer, we can access the love of God. We can become aware of the image of God that is created within each and every one of us. The image of God that is created within you. The wisdom of God that surrounds us. It can help us put our roots deep in the Holy Spirit so that we can be strong. We can be, in the true sense of the word, radical, deeply rooted and active for Jesus Christ. So, I don't think I'm overselling it. I don't think I'm overselling Jesus's impact on prayer, on how he used prayer in his life and in his ministry. If anything, I'm underselling it. Prayer is that central to who he was as the Word made flesh. The Savior of our lives was able to accomplish these things because he was connected to his Father in all times, in all moments, through prayer. Prayer should not be intimidating. It should not be something we feel like we are inadequate to accomplish. So I want to leave you with one more reflection about prayer, one more insight. About 10 summers ago, a youth at the church where I was working at the time was on an outing, a before school outing with another family and their three children. They went to one of those trampoline parks. While doing a very normal flip into the foam pit, he landed in a way that he was not supposed to land. It would be hours before the doctors would read the x-rays, but his neck was broken. The mom who was in charge called 911, waited for the ambulance to arrive, and when it did, she got in the ambulance with Andy, the one who had been injured who was doing okay, but was terrified about what was happening and started to go to the hospital with him. His parents would meet them there. In doing so, she left her own three tween children standing on the curb at the trampoline park with no parent, no supervisor, no chaperone there with them. She left them there. They were old enough to handle it, but just barely. They were scared too. They were scared, not sure how to respond to what was happening around them. They were clearly affected by all that was going on. Now, another parent was on their way to come and get them, but it would be about 20 or 30 minutes before they arrived. And as they waited, they stood on that curb and you could tell something was not right. Another mom came up to them and asked them what had happened. And they told her, they told the story of their friend Andy, how he had fallen in the foam pit, that at that moment he couldn't move his legs and that he was on the way to the hospital with their mother. The mother who was speaking to them said, well, I'll keep your friend Andy in my prayers. I'll keep you in my prayers too. And then she did something that I'll never forget, even though I was not there at that moment. She went over to where her own children were standing. She circled them up, they held hands, and they prayed. They prayed in that very moment. She offered her thoughts and prayers to these other children, but she didn't wait. It wasn't just something you say. She gathered them up and they prayed there in that moment that these children would have their anxieties, um, their anxieties lessened, that Andy would be okay, that their parent would soon be there to pick them up. She prayed. 
Now the story does have a happy ending. Andy was able to have surgery, spent a lot of time in the hospital, did a lot of rehab, but he's fine. He's graduating from college this May. But I'll never forget the woman who offered to pray and then took no time in praying. It was an example set for three young Presbyterians that they'll never forget either, a way they knew that God was present with them on that very scary day. And maybe that's the most important thing we need to take away from it with us today. That prayer, prayer is just who we are. We can't mature in faith without it. And there's no better way to develop the muscle of prayer than to use it. So friends, as we prepare to talk about prayer over the next few weeks, let's take this away. Let's get to praying. Amen. Friends, as we leave this time of worship, know that wherever you go, whatever you do, you are God's beloved children. So speak the good news. Deliberate the will of God. Reach out to the fearful. Comfort the lonely. Sing, hope, pray, and laugh. And may God create in us bountiful souls. May Jesus Christ walk beside us. And may the Holy Spirit add a dance to our steps. Amen. Mm -hmm.